and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians with Beaufort County Library in South Carolina. And on this week's episode, we are going to be discussing books that are set in small towns, which is sort of the exact opposite of what we did last episode, right. which was New York City books. But we didn't do it on purpose. No, we it didn't was do just, it on purpose. We were trying to pick what we were going to do, and this is what came up, and then... It seemed like it was a, a planned it thing. It did seem planned. See, we're smarter than we yeah, think. So. We're way smarter than we think we are. <laughs> and so humble, too. What do you think is the... We both love small town books, right? Do you... Would you uh, agree? Well, I don't know that I would think that. I have read a lot of small town books, but I, I don't think of it as a favorite in the same way that I think of New York City books as a favorite. Okay. It's just... It, I happen to have read a bunch yeah. of them, so it worked for, for this episode, but... Yeah. But I don't think that I'm particularly drawn to them. Really? See, uh, I think I'm the opposite. I don't ever think I'm particularly drawn to the New York City books, oh, but I'm more drawn to the small town books. Why? What, what is it? Because I find What's them the so charming. Yeah. They're so, I don't know. You just feel like you're in that little world with quirky, yeah. eccentric characters and they all know each other and they're all in each other's business. And it's clear that there's a lot of history among the the characters and that always plays a role. And then. So in a lot of contemporary romance series, they will take place in a small town. And mm-hmm. so different characters from previous stories will pop up in later stories. And then characters you've gotten to know in previous stories mm-hmm. then have their kind of shining moment in the in the limelight in a future book. So I think that's maybe why I am drawn to them, because I like feeling like I'm going back to something familiar. Yeah. Maybe. No, that totally makes sense. And, yeah. and when you put it in that way, then it makes me think, oh, well, I love cozy mysteries and a lot of just mysteries in general mm-hmm. take place in, in small towns. But when I think of small town stories, I think of like, like very literary fiction that takes place in the West in like a very dusty town. Oh, and okay. since I'm from the West, I don't have any romanticized views right. of the West. And um, whereas I think a lot of people find that really appealing right. because it's different from the East Coast. Right. Um, but for me, it just feels a little bit claustrophobic yes. and, and, um, I don't know, you're from a city and I'm from yeah. a city, so it seems like we should feel the same way on yeah. this, but no, we, when, don't. we don't, I mean, I which is cool. I know. I just, anytime I think of a small town setting, I think of driving through Arizona and having to stop at terrible antique stores with my parents and they weren't antique stores. They were just like rummage shops and I just feel kind of icky. So that's, and I that's think not of, at all what they are. No, it's I just think of like experience. the Gilmore Girls. Right. <laughs> I need to do some thinking on this and, and kind of reassess my, my opinion. Because you're totally right. And I talk about Gilmore Girls on the podcast all the time and of, of loving the small town seasonal right. celebration thing. Right. Um, but when I hear small town stories, that's not at all what comes to yeah. mind. Well, that's funny because when I was selecting books, it was sort of, with that in mind of the charming yeah. small town. But when I looked at my list of books, I have read, I don't think I'm talking about any of them today. No. Uh, but I have a lot of books that are getting out of small towns, like mm-hmm. that sort of dead end, yeah. nowhere to go. Can't Like a lot of teen books, I feel yeah, like. Yeah. like that, where they feel constrained yeah. by, by being in such a small town. Yeah. So I agree. I just think when I, it's just the opposite of what you think. But I, I think of the positive side of it with, what a small town is, which I realize is not always reality, right? right. but it's fun to read about it. Right. No, that's, that's super interesting. Oh, talking about books is the best. (laughs) All right. So what's your first, uh, first book for me? My first book is Still Life by Louise Penny. And, um, I picked this because I could have done 
any number of goofy culinary mysteries that fit small town, um, which it really is what you're talking about of that, that fun, um, quirky character and, and sort of idealized setting. But I talk about culinary mysteries too often on the podcast. So I spared everyone and went with this really well-respected mystery, um, which is actually a cross between a cozy mystery and a police procedural. It has sort of the, the atmosphere of a, of a cozy, but then the character is a detective and he's solving a case. So it's technically a police procedural. This is the first book in the Three Pines series, and it introduces Chief Inspector Armand, Armand Gamache of the Quebec Police. And this has a name in French that I can't pronounce. So this first book in the series, the entire series actually uh, focuses around a small town in Quebec that's called Three Pines. And it's a very, very small village. And it's uh, a made up town, but it's supposed to be in the section of Quebec that's just north of New Hampshire and uh, Vermont. So you can imagine just how insanely gorgeous this area would be. And in this book, uh, Still Life, the the murder takes place just outside of town. And the person that dies is a retired school t- teacher named Jane Neal. And she was well-loved in town. And that's kind of a departure from mysteries, especially cozy mysteries, because usually they find the victim is someone who everyone had a reason to want them dead. And, and that's sort of the standard procedure on a, a cozy mystery. But this did something different, which I found really refreshing to have a, a victim that everyone universally loved and no one can understand why she would have been killed. So yeah, I like anytime a mystery does something a little bit different than what I'm expecting. So she's found dead in the woods and um, everyone assumes that this is because there's been some tragic bow hunting accident. They, they know she was shot with an arrow, but they, they um, don't know at all what happened. But uh, Gamash, when he becomes um, involved in the case, then he thinks that it's strange that the arrow wound would um, be found in her chest, but no one has found the actual arrow. So he knows that there has to be something kind of amiss with with this situation. Um, Jane was part of a close group of friends, and they're all eager to help her find out or to help find out what happened to her. And she, there's a local artist named Clara that was like a daughter to Jane, and so she, in particular, is working closely with Gamash to find out what happened and to uncover this killer. And I think in this this case, the all the characters are still quirky. There's still that small town sort of eccentric characters element to the book, but it isn't quite in the jokey way that you find in a typical cozy mystery where it's, it's supposed to be a little like on the humorous mm-hmm. side. That's definitely not the tone of this like book Like almost at all. exaggerated, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So all that, those same behaviors are there. It just doesn't have that same feel, but the small town, small town element still works really well because Jane taught most of the population of the town when she was a teacher. So everyone is very familiar with, with her and everyone sort of has information on her and you get a lot of it of tension from the social dynamics of the people who all have lived in this place for too long and know each other too well and everyone knows each other's secrets so that's that's to me the the great part of a small town story where everyone has something to hide from each other I read this a couple of weeks ago and it has the perfect fall feeling to it it feels like crisp air and apples and stone fireplaces and I actually was reading this on my lunch break at, at work a couple of weeks ago and our building is absolutely freezing. And so I kept thinking about how great it would be to go home and have a cup of tea and some candles and, and a blanket. And I was just so set to go have this cozy evening. And then I walked outside and it was 90 degrees. Yeah, it was awful. It was so humid. But the book does such a great job of creating atmosphere that it, it totally tricked me into thinking that it was October in Canada. Mm-hmm. So so I, I just adored the the setting in this. And it has a lot of red herrings. The mystery is good. There's a, a very strong main character and lots of intriguing side characters. So if you're a cozy mystery fan, this is definitely considered a must-read series, I would say. Mm-hmm. That is Still Life by Louise Penny.
Yeah, I read that too. I liked it. I've read that it gets, not that the first one isn't good, but uh-huh. it, as the series goes along, you become more involved. Yeah. Characters yeah. Because that. the same, the same set of characters right. sticks around. Right. So, so, which is true in, in cozies, but it just sounds like things develop in, right. a, in a really interesting way. Yeah. I read this for my book club and one of the women had read the whole series and she mm-hmm. kept saying, I can't say anything because I can't remember what happens oh. at what time. And right. you have to read this in order. And there's a lot of development. It isn't just where you usually in mystery series, you can kind of just pick whichever right. book you want to read. And this one you actually have to read in order. So I'm excited to keep going. And the next one place takes in the dead of winter. So oh. I have to wait until it's winter and we don't have any snow here, so it won't really matter. But I'm it going to anyway. Here. It has snowed here. It will not snow here, probably. <laughs> so <laughs> you never know. In any case, it's not going to be like snow plows. No. <laughs> okay, what do you have? All right. Up? So my first one is "Along for the Ride" by Sarah Dessen, and I've talked before about how much I love Sarah Dessen. And so she was the first one when I was thinking because I've read a lot of YA, like I said, a lot of teen books that or these small town books. But I thought I had to had to do Sarah Dessen again. And the, in this one, the main character is Auden, and she has just graduated from high school. Um, she's her, spent her entire life basically trying to be the perfect child. And her, her parents have just gotten divorced not too long ago. And when they started, she even, she always had a tendency to try to do what they wanted of her, but then in an effort to sort of keep the peace, she ramped that up. And once they started arguing and then they ended up getting a divorce. She became an insomniac and stopped sleeping at night because she would lay in bed and, and hear them fighting. And so it just kind of snowballed. And so now she can't shake this habit of that's when she sort of found peace was to be awake at night after this all happened. Anyway, so her father now lives uh, at the beach uh, in a town called Colby, which is uh, based on Emerald Isle, North Carolina. Oh, okay. And several of Sarah Dessen's books take place there. So this is where you get to see some of the characters mm-hmm. from and places and stuff from previous books. And so she decides to go thinking that maybe she'll have the chance to sort of have a carefree summer before she goes back to, she starts college and goes back to being a hardworking, perfect kind of person. And so she, when she's there, she's a little bit resistant to get herself involved in things in the town. She's just thinking she's going to keep to herself. And her stepmother just had a baby and is really struggling with taking care of a newborn and her dad's kind of not really helping out. And so she's trying to figure out how to, how much she should be helping her stepmother, but she still has some resentment about the fact that her parents have gotten divorced. So, you know, it's it's kind of figuring out that whole scenario. And then her stepmother owns a clothing boutique in this town and so she offers to help with doing some of the accounting like doing the books and payroll and stuff like that so she goes in at night because she's an insomniac and it's as the basically she overlaps just by a little bit before the store is going to close there are these three young girls that are also about to have just finished high school about to start college who work there and so slowly that she becomes involved in what their friendship is which she's never really had girlfriends so she's never been a part of that sort of close relationship And then she also starts spending time with a boy named Eli, who is also awake until all hours of the night. And the two of them start exploring the town of Colby when everybody else is sleeping and having adventures together. Um, So I've said before, Sarah Dessen's books are like comfort food for me. Mm -hmm. And this they can be formulaic sometimes, not all of them, but they can be formulaic. But there's such a she draws her character so well that Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter that you know where the story is going. 
Um, and so that's the way I felt about this book. And it's a great summer book because it just all takes place over one summer at a beach town. So we're, we're at the end of summer now, we're yeah. into fall, but it's still here. It's still warm. And so it would still be a good time to read this. And that is Along for the Ride by Sarah Dessen. I still haven't read any of her books. And that is wrong of me. <laughs> I don't know if I could bear it if you read one and didn't like it, though. Oh, I'm sure I would like it. I don't think I, I don't think there's any danger that I wouldn't like it. I just would have to you right. know, make the time to right. read it. Well, wait, next time we do a pick books for each other. Ooh, maybe I'll yeah, 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 yeah. I would like okay. that. Okay. All right. What's your next one? The next book is Almost Perfect by Brian Catcher. And this is a YA book that won the Stonewall Award in 2011. And that's a that's a, a excellence in um, LGBT fiction for, for youth. And it's this one would definitely be the negative side of, of living in a small town and having everyone know your business. Um, when you've known people for too long. Mm. So this book is about a boy named Logan who befriends a new girl at his high school who is named Sage Hendricks. And uh, she has just moved to town. And uh, I think the the town is in Missouri. It's a a small town in Missouri, I'm pretty sure. And he, at the beginning of the story, has just gone through a bad breakup, but he is completely intrigued by Sage from the first moment he meets her. And she's very different from anyone else in town and, and definitely is an outsider. And as his friendship builds with her, he begins to become romantically interested in her, but Sage keeps trying to discourage this. So eventually Logan kisses her, but immediately Sage reveals this her big secret, which is that she was biologically born a boy and that she's transi- transitioning into becoming physically female. So Logan reacts with anger, as you can well imagine a conservative young man would react. And he his first reaction is immediately to be afraid that everyone will think he's gay even through his his uh, feelings of being tricked and, and being betrayed, he realizes that his relationship with Sage is deeper than just a physical attraction, and that he actually genuinely cares about her as a person. Um, and so he decides he's going to try to rekindle this friendship that he that, that they once had. Um, but because this is set in a conservative small town, they're having a relationship with each other, whether it's friendship or a romantic relationship, is, is easier said than done. And Sage has to face a lot of homophobia from her community and from her family um, while Logan is grappling with changing the beliefs that he's held for his entire life. And it it really gives the reader a lot to think about in terms of what it means to ignite attraction and the social cues that we take to indicate gender. Mm -hmm. That was really fascinating to me to read about. But I also probably the thing I love the most about the book is that it portrays the different characters with a lot of honesty and I think it would have been really easy to show everyone in the town as small minded and, and closed off from from like right thinking mm-hmm. ideas. Um, but the author develops the characters into something a lot more nuanced. And, and I really appreciated that. It's Logan is not an easy character to like at all. Um, he says and does absolutely terrible things and you'll hate him for, for lots of parts of the book. But you're also aware that this is his story of of sort of changing his opinions and so you know his background and you know what he grew up with and, and you see how he's changing. And so that's a really fascinating process to watch as a, a reader. And similarly, Sage's family could just be a one-dimensionally hateful family, but you get a really deeper view of their issues with accepting her as a girl. So even though the author isn't excusing any of their actions, then you you also understand that these characters not are not just stereotypes and that there's, there's a lot more um, depth to it than... than uh, than he could have written. Mm-hmm. It could have been a lot easier to, to write a different type of story. And and since this is set in a small town, then Sage and Logan don't have the luxury of any anonymity that you could get in a city. 
So the book is heartbreaking and it's beautiful at the same time. And I read this, I think in grad school, probably five years ago, and it stuck with me so much for those, those five years. And now transgendered and transsexual um, rights are much more in the forefront than mm-hmm. what they were when I read this book. And so it's interesting to think about it. And, and um, it, it, I'm, I'm curious of what, how I would read it now, five years later of, right. of how things would sort of seem different while reading it. So um, so it was really a fascinating, fascinating book. It's called Almost Perfect by Brian Catcher. That sounds so good. Yeah, I really liked it. I, I think it's a good one. I don't know that I've ever heard of that one before. So then my next book is a book called A Man Called Ova by Frederick Bachman. And I'm going to be honest, I don't actually think this takes place in a small town. But <laughs> <laughs> it has many of the same elements of the small town books we were talking about. So it was it popped into my head. And it was one of my favorite books that I read last year. But I read it after we'd recorded our favorite books of the year episode, oh, so I wasn't able to include it. That's tricky. I know. Well, I didn't mean to. Yeah, but, but there's those things <laughs> well, at the end of the year it, that you yeah, fall through the cracks. fall through the cracks because so. I couldn't talk about it this coming year. So it is a Swedish book. It's translated uh, about Ova, who is a man who has recently lost his wife and is a total curmudgeon. Uh, he just hates everything. Uh, and he is planning on actually killing himself because he's so unhappy with the world and the state of the world. And it just grumbles all the time. You know, those yeah, people. Yeah. One day a young family moves in next door and their moving truck as they're trying to back it up ends up hitting his mailbox and flattening it. So he storms out of his house. He's so angry and starts yelling at them about how they should actually drive a moving truck and how <laughs> they should actually back it up. And because of that, they completely, they're these chatty, friendly people. And so they, it, they're he is their neighbor. And so they insert him, themselves into his life mm-hmm. and much to his dismay. And but as the book goes on, it's clear that there's a reason he's so unhappy and and you get a clearer picture of who he is and, and why he is the way he is. And uh, there's also a bunch of drama going on with the local residents association, which is why I think this came to mind as a small town book, because it's all this idea of there's all these people meddling in each other's affairs and talking about each other and talking about these problems that are going on. And there's a bunch of history, you know, old, old hurts against each other that yeah. people are still holding on to and, and longstanding friendships and these disagreements. And so that's, I think why I was comparing it to a small town book. Um, but it's so incredibly touching. It's very, very sweet without being saccharine. I read it, like I said, at the end of the year, I read it right around Christmas time, which was the perfect time to read it because it was heartwarming, but without being like a blatant, it right. had nothing to do with Christmas, but it, it was a perfect kind of feeling, warm feeling kind of a book to have yeah. around Christmas time. Uh, it's been very popular with book clubs, yes. I know, and everybody I know who has read it has really enjoyed it. And I've also heard that the audiobook is excellent. So that is A Man Called Ova by Frederick Bachman. My last book is La Rose by Louise Erdrich. And I talked about this a little bit in our spring, I think it was spring 2016 uh, preview episode. I think it came out in May, so that's that's spring, probably. Um, this takes place in a small town in North Dakota in 1999, and it's it starts out with a man named Landro Iron, uh, and he he's out shooting deer at the edge of his property in this this very rural setting, and he sees a flash of movement and he pulls the trigger. But when he investigates, he realizes that the, the deer he thought he was shooting, so he did see a deer, but that got away and the movement that he saw that he shot at was in fact the five-year-old son of his neighbor. And that boy is named Dusty and he was best friends with, with Landro's own son named LaRose. 
And the two families of these boys have been good neighbors. And actually the wives of each couple are half sisters. So they have this long history together. And of course, both families are completely devastated by what happens um, during the shooting. So Landro is a recovering alcoholic who had turned to Christianity as he was kind of working on, on that issue. But in this instance, he decided to return to his family's Ojibwe religion and is looking for guidance in how to move forward um, from this, this terrible tragedy. And so he goes to a sweat lodge for several hours and kind of has this, this out-of-body experience. And he decides from that, those hours, that he's going to follow an ancient law, which says that he should give LaRose to uh, Dusty's parents, who are named Peter and Nola, as, um, as an act of retribution for this wrong that Landro has, has committed against them. So the situation is already difficult, but Nola had been emotionally unstable before Dusty's death. And now that LaRose is in her home, he, it, she's kind of vacillating between smothering him with unwanted attention and flying into rages at the rest of the family for what, what um, has happened to her own son. And in the meantime, Landro's wife, Emmeline, is mourning the loss of her son, um, even though he's still alive, then she isn't really able to see him. But after a few years, it seems like the two families have kind of found a balance that, that they can live with. Um, and this, I, I think it's over the course of a few years. I'm, I may be misremembering that, but it's at, af- after they've, they've sort of found this balance, then a man um, in the community that has a longstanding grudge against Landro begins to raise questions about what actually happened on the day that Dusty died. And the fragile harmony that these families have found is, is um, sort of showing its cracks. So it's very compelling. This is a really hard story to read, but it's a really, really beautiful book. The story shifts perspective a lot. So you, you, get, you get Landro's perspective and you get LaRose's perspective and the two wives' perspectives. And then it even goes back in time to the 19th century. And there's some magical realism elements to it. So it's definitely not a straightforward read and you, you have to pay attention to it. But it captures so well the way that people's lives in small towns are really wrapped up in e- with each other. So even though... I know that people in cities have communities and, and they can be just involved with the people in their small community. There's that sense in a small town that you're all dependent on each other in ways that you you don't necessarily feel when you live in a city. And that can lead to situations that are, you know, for better or for worse, you're, you're in with your neighbors. So it's a really compelling examination of how people react to tragedy, whether that means stoicism or a mental breakdown and everything in between. Um, and it's just, she's, she's a really great writer. She writes just really intricate books. So this was, I think, probably a favorite of mine from this year. And it is called La Rose by Louise Erdrich. Never read her. This was my first yeah. of hers, but yeah. it's worth it. Yeah. It was good. All right. So my last one is Be Mine Forever by Marina Adair. And as I said at the beginning of the episode, so many contemporary romance series are these small town stories. So I had to include at least one romance here. Uh, <laughs> and Marina Adair is not quite as well known as some of the other romances, romance authors I've read who write these types of series. So I decided to talk about the fourth book in her uh, St. Helena Vineyard series, Ooh. which, you know, goes against every fiber of my I being know. to me a little not bit. start with the first book. But this was my favorite. And they really do... You really do not have to read previous books in the series to enjoy any of them Mm -hmm. at all. I think there are five or six in the series now, and this would be a really good entry point. So in addition to being about a small town, uh, the characters in this series are also all all about different 
family members of the same family, and they own a winery in Napa Valley. So it's sort of fantasy right there. Yeah. (laughs) This beautiful area to live in. And this book is about Trey, who is the youngest of the DeLuca family, and he is the vice president of sales for the family's wine company. And it's a job which keeps him traveling almost constantly, which he really likes and has no desire to settle down or Mm -hmm. stay in one place. Um, But he is summoned home for a family emergency, which he rushes home for. And then because he's thinking it's an illness or some sort of catastrophe, and it's actually his grandmother wanting him to escort her to the upcoming Valentine's Day gala that the town's (laughs) throwing. And she doesn't have anybody else to take her. So he pleads with his siblings to relieve him of this duty, but none of them will agree. They all, they all, all of his siblings are the ones that have come in previous books and they're all paired off and having kids and all these things. They can't spend the time with preparing for this. So he resigns himself to, to just staying for a little while in town and doesn't think it'll be the worst thing in the world to get to know his nieces and nephews and, and be able to spend some time with them. And he even decides to enroll in a dance class to brush up on his dancing skills and preparation. And the owner of the dance studio is Sarah, who is a widower, and she's a mother who has recently relocated to St. Helena. And when she and Trey meet, uh, sparks immediately fly, but neither of them is interested in getting involved in a relationship. So you can see where it's going. But there's a really, it was a very satisfying story on a personal level beyond just the romance about Uh what they each decide they want out of their lives. And, And Sarah was a really sympathetic character. She's missing her husband who she lost and she's trying to raise a child all on her own but you have plenty of quirky characters and you're rooting for the main character to figure it out and and figure out that they love each other and want to be together um and it was just it's great great romance series and again i said it's not i don't think it's as well known as some others Uh -uh. um and that is be mine forever by marina adair it's part of the saint helena vineyard series it seems like that's a structure that happens a lot uh, which i guess you said earlier in the episode but i haven't really experienced it Mm -hmm. that that one location mm-hmm. and different characters mm-hmm. become side characters yes. and main characters. Like yeah. that, the first time I had seen that was the Chicago stars yes. series yeah. that you had me read. Mm-hmm. And, and I had never seen that before yeah. of, of like, it's very common small romances. Right. I think it's because my theory is that people grow so attached to the characters mm-hmm. in, they want to sort of see their happily ever after, but there's not a lot of, tension and writing right. about the, their story after that. So you still get to kind of pay attention and know where their story goes after mm-hmm. the happily ever after by setting other, other books in the yeah. same place with the same character. Yeah. It's like double satisfaction right, of, right. of getting right. the, like the cute right. love story, but then you also know your character. Right. So interesting. Yeah. So we will be right back with what we're reading this week. What are you reading? I am reading a biography called Victoria the Queen, an intimate biography of the woman who ruled an empire by Julia Baird. This is actually an upcoming release. Um, I think it releases on, it's November, I think, 15th of this year. So I'm not sure when this this episode comes out, early October, Uh, uh, September 30th. 30th. Um, So yeah, a little while longer before this is coming out, but. I'm going to talk about it anyway. Right now, there's sort of a tide of Victoria-centric stuff that's that's going on. So this is, there's this biography. There's a new novel by Daisy Goodwin that's coming out in November. 
as well. And there's a dramatization of that book, which is, I think, just called Victoria, mm-hmm. um, that is going to air on PBS in, in January. And she wrote the screenplay for that as well. Um, so she's Victoria. So Victoria's hot right having now. a moment. Yeah. I mean, I guess Victorian stuff is always popular, but Victoria herself, yeah. that's kind of cool. So the focus of this biography is to repaint Victoria as she actually was because her journals were actually heavily censored by her youngest daughter, Beatrice, who, who um, after her death, removed anything that put Victoria in a bad light or could be potentially upsetting to the, the current or current at that time royal family um, or even things that were seen as too personal to Victoria's life. So, for example, there's a journal entry from early in her marriage where um, – that was rewritten where she, she talks about her husband helping her put on her stockings and loving watching him shave his face. And, and that that was too intimate of a moment for, for that to stay in the journals, but they had nine kids together. So obviously they had a sexual relationship and they were very much in love. It was no secret that she was pretty, pretty obsessed with him, but these details had to be scrubbed clean for, for, you know, history, I guess. So she also had, a huge amount of correspondence with, with other um, people of um, her time, both, both friends and family and uh, other monarchs. And that was heavily edited by the official court biographers after her death, who wanted to tell a story of a sweet, innocent girl who was guided by very important and wise men to become queen, but, but sort of downplaying her role. And they actually removed nearly all of the hundreds of letters that she wrote to other women including other reigning queens in Europe, because they said that letters to women were very tiresome. Uh Yeah. Um, So this editorial decision ignored her incredibly strong personality and the huge effect that her marriage and her pregnancies had on her role as queen. And they also created this myth that Victoria was kind of this dour, non-maternal sort of not, not bitter, but just, just not warm at all. And that's absolutely not at all the way she is in her journals. So if you don't know anything about Victoria, she became queen in in, uh, 1837 at the age of 18, and she ruled until her death in 1901. And she was the longest reigning British monarch until uh, her great-great-granddaughter, Elizabeth II, bypassed her just last year, I think. And her reign is fascinating for so many reasons, but the biggest one to me is how much the world changed from the beginning of her reign to the end of it. Um, and how synonymous her reign is with with Britishness. So you, you think of the Victorian era and you have Dickens and you have train travel and the heyday of the Industrial Revolution and the British Empire. And it just is so British. <laughs> so um, I don't think that the research in this book is groundbreaking. I'm pretty sure that everything had already been regarding her journals and her letters had already been written about. But this is a biography that takes all of that kind of new information and, and makes a complete overview of it. And it really reforms the idea that Victoria was this sort of prudish monarch and um, she is revealed to be an incredibly passionate and high spirited woman. And it actually shows that a lot of the stiffness and and kind of propriety that that the era is known for came from her husband and not from her. So it was just very, very fascinating to read. And I I personally loved it because Victoria was the reason that I got into history Mm -hmm. as a kid. I picked up a biography of her when I was probably 10 or something from my school library and and it just, I was so obsessed with her when I was little. So uh, I haven't really touched on that at all as an adult. It's been many, many years since I've read any biographies of her. So it was very fun to revisit her life and to sort of relearn this information that mm-hmm. I once knew. So I'm enjoying it quite a bit. It's called Victoria the Queen, an Intimate Biography of the Woman Who Ruled an Empire by Julia Baird. And it comes out November 15th. 
All right. So what I am reading this week is actually what I'm listening to this week. It's Harry Potter and the Deathly <gasps> Hallows by J.K. Rowling. Tell me, I've never heard of this. <laughs> it's a little known series yeah. about this boy wizard. What? How has this not become famous? I know. I have no idea. Um, so I'm pretty sure I don't need to give a description of what these <laughs> books are about. So instead, I'm just going to talk to you about how amazing the audiobooks are. Okay. Uh, they're narrated by Jim Dale. And our, I've listened to a lot of audiobooks in my life, particularly yeah. in the last maybe 10 years. And these are some of the best audiobooks I've ever listened to. The fifth book was 27 hours long. Oh my and Lord. I listened to the entire thing in a week. And <laughs> it felt like... I mean, it didn't feel like some long slog. It felt like it was. And I think that's, you know, that's not just because it's an audiobook. It's also J.K. Rowling's pacing right. is very good. So it never felt like it was that, I, that I've read. I've listened to other book, books that are not that long. And I'm hitting the halfway mark, checking the time constantly mm-hmm. of how much is left because I'm ready to be done with it. Yeah. Um, and it's just these the hours just fly by. I don't know how else to describe it. And Jim Dale's narration is amazing. He does these different voices for every character and they're so distinct that you absolutely know who is speaking, even if there aren't the tags to say it's Ron or mm-hmm. Hermione or whoever it is. And he has this lovely British accent that's just so soothing to listen mm-hmm. to. I think everything's elevated with with an accent <laughs> when you're listening. <laughs> oh, and if you watched the show Pushing Daisies, did uh-huh. you ever watch that? That He's the narrator on the show. That's the oh, voice. Uh, and okay. so I had started rereading, I think I told you this one time, I started rereading this series in print a few years ago, mm-hmm. but I stalled on book five because I had forgotten how irritating Harry is in yeah. that book because he just complains and is <laughs> like a stomping 15-year-old all the time about how horrible life is and he's kind of just whiny so I had stopped and then I uh, was I don't know what persuaded me to p- start the audiobook but it, maybe six weeks ago or something I picked up the audio or downloaded the audiobook and listened to it and then now I listened to the fifth sixth and now I'm on the last one the seventh well now we have the play Harry Potter and the yeah. Child, but the seventh of of that that series of of novels and when I've I've read this before I read it when it first came out but I read it in a huge rush because I didn't want to hear any spoilers right. about who died or anything like that. So the details have been lost to me. I mean, <laughs> I have no recollection of a lot of stuff that's happening in this book. So um, it's so much fun to listen to it. It's like a, it's new to me a, a little bit because I don't remember a lot of these things. And I've seen the movies, but I didn't have a big impact. Yeah. On me, I don't think so. Um, I just love it. It's uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows by J.K. Rowling. And if you haven't read these books immediately rectify that go <laughs> fix that I don't know how culturally uh, you cannot I don't know but I'm sure there are people about, out there oh, yeah, I'm sure, sure you, I'm sure everybody knows about them but right. it, maybe you haven't read them so they're worth reading if you're an adult child doesn't matter and uh, if you're an audiobook listener I would definitely recommend the audiobooks all right so let's go back that's it for us today we'll talk mention all of the books we talked about okay this week I talked about Still Life by Louise Penny Almost Perfect by Brian Catcher LaRose by Louise Erdrich. And what I'm reading this week is Victoria the Queen by Julia Baird. And I talked about Along for the Ride by Sarah Dessen, A Man Called Ova by Frederick Bachman, and Be Mine Forever by Marina Adair. And then what I'm listening to this week is Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows by J.K. Rowling. If you'd like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com or find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your other podcast provider of choice. Our podcast is engineered by Adam Farver. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. 
We keep our show notes at BeaufortCountyLibrary.org slash well-read, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode. Thank you all for listening and happy reading. Happy reading.